0: As you go down the road in the hockey business, you're gonna be by yourself a lot. You're not gonna be able to rely on your parents to call uh, Cooper in Tampa or whatever it is. I don't think you want that to happen, right? So I think the earlier you the earlier you learn to communicate with the coach and understand that there's a working relationship there. And most often most often times you can come to a kind of a common ground of where i'm coming from where the player's coming from and then we can obviously learn and move on from it um instead of always the second kind of the third party involvement i think that face-to-face conversation is always good for the player and for the coach i think it's way easier to get on the same page
1: that was tyler shattuck the head coach of the salmon arm silverbacks of the bchl and you are listening to the up my hockey podcast with jason pedola About reaching your potential. Hey there, welcome back or welcome to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. I am your host, Jason Podolan, back with episode number 104. And today you are going to listen to a conversation I had with Tyler Shattuck. Tyler Shattuck is the head coach of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks of the BCHL. Uh the Salmon Arm Silverbacks also happens to be the team that I am the mental performance coach for. So I have worked with them for two seasons uh now, and this is the second season. So have gotten to know Tyler quite well. I would say we work fairly closely, considering um the relationship that I have with the players and with him. A little bit of a liaison between the between the two of them, meaning the coaching staff and the players. Uh And it's been a pleasure to be a part of that organization, for sure. And it's been a pleasure to get to know Tyler along the way, along with uh, uh, Brooks Christensen, the GM there. It's a first-class BCHL organization, for sure. They're doing a lot of good things, and it shows in the product on the ice and the quality of the people that they're bringing into the locker room. Uh, Tyler, in this uh, discussion, we break down a little bit of his career, uh, where he went, uh, how he got started and also then transitioning obviously into what he's doing now as the head coach of the silverbacks how that happened uh what he does as a coach some of the different hats he wears as a coach in the bchl and uh, and we get into that aspect uh so one of the things that i thought i would mention i mean uh that tyler was a heck of a hockey player himself growing up in in british columbia and salmon arm He, uh, he ended up being a fifth overall draft pick in the WHL draft in 2005, uh, went on to play, I don't have in front of me right now, but I think it was seven pro seasons. Uh, he was, he was drafted, uh, to the NHL as well. I believe that was a fourth round selection, 108th overall by the, uh, St. Louis blues. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, when I looked up his, uh, this is just interesting. I, I find, I, I have a son right now that, is entering or is almost entering he's just completing his first year of bantam and is going to be entering his second year of bantam which out west here in uh in western north america that means you are now eligible for the whl bantam draft if that is the direction that you want to go and uh and when i brought up the 2005 draft it's amazing right we it's well it's amazing in in the sense uh in one sense and it's also not amazing in another so what I mean by that is we have the best 14-year-olds in Western Canada that are selected to this WHL draft. So scouts are looking far and wide for, for who the best 14 years, 14-year-olds are. They're trying to do their best to project what these players will be when they're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and you know how, how effective they're going to be. So like, just pause on that for a second, right? The best 14-year-olds in Western Canada and the Western United States get scouted uh, for the WHL. Now, in three short years, I guess that would be, three short years from there, they are now eligible for the NHL draft, which would then put them into a little bigger pool. Obviously, this is now a worldwide pool that they fall into, but you would still suspect that, you know, a lot of the best kids in Western North America would end up floating to the top uh, and being able to see them in an NHL jersey. And, What's wild is when I bring up this draft and I looked at a few others and and most of them are very, very similar is that in the, in the first round that year, uh, the draft where Tyler went sixth overall, like sixth overall, like what a, what a huge accomplishment at the time. Uh, there were three players in the first round. That's out of 20 picks that ended up playing games in the NHL. The first overall pick Colton Toybert, played 24 games. Uh, one season had one assist uh in the nhl james wright went number nine overall he played 146 games and then the first i guess more recognizable name and somebody who's still playing now is tyler myers went 19th overall to the Kelowna rockets he's now played almost 900 nhl games and uh has obviously had a great career uh, but we even have to pan down even farther till we get to lance boma at 29 so in the first 28 picks there's essentially one player that had an NHL career. I'm sure there's a few there like that. James Wright has, has had a pro career and and maybe Colton Toybert had a, had a, had a pro career, but it just goes to show you like how hard it is, how hard it is to get done. And, uh, and you mean, I'm in the, I'm in the space of like, let's reach goals. Let's have high hopes and dreams and let's, let's calibrate our thoughts, words, and our actions with our goals and dreams and gives ourselves the best opportunity of making those things happen and to reach our, reach our fullest potential. Uh, but it's scary, right? The odds of it actually being an NHL career, like an NHL career is a really, really tough thing to do. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we all know it is, and we've all heard the odds and there's people that will be quick to spit them at you. Uh, but I'm not saying we're not trying. Like I, I don't get me wrong. I don't even know where I'm really going with this now because somebody's got to play in the NHL. Someone's got to be there. Someone's got to be able to do it. And there's lots of paths and there's lots of way to get there. Um, so I'm not discouraging anyone from reaching reaching for that. It's just crazy though to me like how hard it actually is. Um, that when you look at a at a WHL draft and you go down the list and, and see how few how few players that were able to make it. I mean in this draft in particular, like the number two pick all the way down to the number eight pick never even played a game. And then uh and then we have that James Wright who played hundred and forty six games and then we go from number ten all the way down to number eighteen and they never played a game. Um it's just it's just kind of mind boggling to me and, and, and in some respects it's uh puts in perspective even on from my own account, right, to play the forty one games that I did, uh it's always been something that I've kind of turned my nose up at you know that it was like oh you know only 41 games and you know geez it should have been so many more and as it says in the beginning of this podcast you know i wish or thought i was going to play a thousand um but any game is like a huge game in that league to get there's so many things that have to go right obviously your ability has to be there um you know your character's got to be there the opportunities got to be there injuries can't happen uh you know you you have to get spotted in a place where you can retain the affection of somebody that's in, that's in control. I mean, there's so many things that have to happen and, uh, and it's a long, long road. So I guess from a perspective standpoint, maybe that's, maybe that's what I'm trying to get at here is the perspective of what we're doing as hockey parents, uh, you know, with kids at young, young ages, six, seven, eight, and leaving town and traveling to special leagues. And it's just, I just think that Yes, we want to give our kids the best advantage, but let's just play some hockey too, you know, especially at the younger ages. Let's play hockey. Um, let's keep our, our perspective in check. Let's give them all the resources that we can. Um, but as soon as we start to really chase this idea of like a pro hockey career, like really young, I think it can kind of get a little bit has a chance to get toxic. Let's just put it that way. Um I'm all about supporting our players. I'm all about giving them the resources. I'm all about encouraging, uh, all the things that you can, that you can learn from, from like the life skills you can learn from hockey and all the great things that hockey provides. Um, but yeah, when it's NHL or bust kind of stamped at the end of this, uh, we have to be really careful about what we're, uh, what we're really doing it for, you know, and, uh, you know, a, a junior, a junior A route and, and getting a scholarship is, is super hard too. Even getting to the WHL is super hard. Uh, there, there's so many things that, that, uh, that are difficult about the journey, which is maybe why I'm so passionate about what I do is because it is arming and empowering athletes to give themselves the best opportunity to make their big goals and their big dreams come true. But where I can look in the mirror and have a big smile on my face is because for those that don't make it, they don't actually get to wear that NHL jersey or whatever it is that dream that they had, a D1 scholarship or to play on a on a junior team, they are going to be better equipped to handle whatever it is they want to do, wherever it is they want to show up and, and whatever profession they're going to be and, and how they're going to tr- contribute to the community and how they're going to be able to handle the adversity in their own lives and how they're going to be able to uh, use the self-awareness tools that, that they've taught through, through a program with me to, to help them navigate life. And, um, and as I hear all the, you know, the worrisome things that are coming out about, you know, teenagers taking their lives at a higher rate than ever, and anxiety and depression is up and all these things. It's just points to me that we need to develop more resilient young men and women. We need to give them the tools to be able to battle the adversity and be able to battle the anxiety and the depression and 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 all these things that are happening right now with our athletes and and uh, and if we can use hockey to help them become better hockey players, something that they're passionate about, yet we're also able to give them these secret weapon tools that are going to help them to become productive uh, human beings, uh, on this earth, you know, I think that's pretty special too. So, uh, anyways, I just got off on a long tangent there talking about the WHL draft and and I should get back to Tyler and, and Tyler, uh, Tyler was the fifth overall pick by, uh, or the sixth overall pick to the Kamloops Blazers, a, a team just down the road, a very prestigious team that's been talked about here on this podcast many times. Uh, and he joined that, I think he was even Potentially the captain by the end uh, maybe I should bring that up was was he the captain by the end yes he was the captain in his last year 2009 2010 uh, uh Tyler also wore the C later in his pro career with the Cal- Cal- Kalamazoo wings uh, so Tyler was a great uh, great player in his own right. We talk about maybe what happened with him. I mean, we, we talk about the advice that he would give others that were in his shoes, you know, trying to get that opportunity to wear an NHL jersey to to realize that dream that he had like so many others. Um, but also how to navigate pro hockey life, you know, nobody talks about being an AHL player or being an East coast league player, but you are getting paid to play hockey, a very, very special thing that very few people get to do. And it's not easy. It's a business. And how do you show up every day? And how do you play the 80 games and, and bring your best? Like it's a, it's a challenge. And uh, and Tyler and I cover that, and we also cover a lot about what he's doing now with the with being the head coach of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks and trying to equip his players, his young men, for their next step. Which for many of them, they want that to be a D one university in the United States. That's where they want to go. They want to get their education paid for through hockey. Many of them do want to go on and, and uh, be pros themselves. But that first step for them from the Junior A League is to step into a, a D1 university and and be a productive college athlete and uh, and get an education. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. So um, big shoes for, for Tyler and the coaching staff there. The Junior A programs, they, they don't have a ton of support of, from the coaching staff side. You know, they'd have to wear a lot of Hats, meaning they're doing a lot of the recruiting. They're also doing the coaching on a day-to-day basis and the practice planning. They're also doing a lot of the team building and and camps and and getting involved in the in the community. So there's a lot going on for a head coach at a junior A team and to uh, put a productive or I mean a a successful product on the ice, uh, for, you know, for any year is, is, is a challenge. And, and, uh, Tyler, when Tyler's been at the helm, they've, they've had solid teams here three years running. So it was awesome to have Tyler on talk about, uh, what his beliefs are and his philosophies. And, uh, without further ado, I bring you episode 104, my conversation with the head coach of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, Tyler Shattuck. Tyler, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Um, It's an honor. Actually, we should have done this earlier, uh, just even considering our, you know, our working relationship and being around the team and and obviously my my platform here and who follows me. There's a lot of interest around the BCHL. There's a lot of interest around, you know, getting the D1 scholarship and the NCAA route. So um, not a better guy to talk to than yourself. So I look forward to getting into that. But I want to talk first of all about You as a player, because I think that story is interesting and one that I don't even know that much about. Uh, Local kid, right? Like from Vernon, it says. Like how long did you, how long were you playing minor hockey in Vernon for?
0: Well, I'm actually, I didn't spend any time in Vernon. So I was born in Vernon Hospital. So I'm guessing that's why my hometown is listed as Vernon. But I spent all my hockey playing in Salmon Arm here growing up uh, all the way through to when I went and left to play midget and Kamloops.
1: Awesome. So I did have um, a conversation with Sean Lund. So Sean Lund, for those of you listening, is, is a U15AA coach here locally, and, and he's coaching my oldest son, Hudson, and he's doing an admirable job of coaching that whole team and uh, been around for a while. And your name came up, and he said that he coached you and, and at some point. Was it that same program, or, or when did when did you guys cross cross paths?
0: Yeah, he coached me hockey and baseball, I guess, kind of growing, all growing up. I'm the same age as his. Um, youngest boy so we kind of grew up playing hockey and different sports together so I'll be interested to see what that conversation looked like
1: <laughs> yeah right when uh, that, that's the nitty-gritty when they get to see us at like 12 years old right like uh, yeah. a, a young Tyler growing up um, anyways well it's okay so played in Salmon Arm you ended up going the WHL route so uh, now you're in the BCJ uh, as a player, you're familiar with, with with that route, and and obviously now as a recruiter, like you're dealing with people battling both sides of it. But what uh, what was your draw to to the dub, and did you ever consider the the BCJ when you were going through it?
0: Yeah, honestly, when I was, I guess when I was growing up, I didn't really know know much else. Um, I guess I also, as a kid, kind of playing double A hockey in Salmon Arm, and ended up um, playing well enough to get drafted by Kamloops. Uh, fifth overall was a bit of a surprise to me, my family, all that kind of stuff. So as, as that kind of started to go on, um, my draw to the Western League obviously became bigger. Um, before all that kind of stuff started to happen, obviously Salmon Arm was a place that I thought I would probably play. Um, but I guess just circumstances and development-wise, that's kind of where I ended up.
1: Cool. So I didn't know that. So you got drafted fifth overall in the WHL draft out of Double A hockey.
0: Out of Double A, yeah, playing in Salmon Arm. The only AAA A hockey I really played growing up would have been I played some spring hockey down in Vancouver, um, and then the BC Best Evers Canada Winter Games that stuff. But everything else, I played Double A. And then I think one year Salmon Arm had a had a Triple A team, but obviously with our numbers, we weren't all that competitive.
1: Right. Well there is a I mean there's an allure, right? Like I think it's whether it's marketing, whether it's what whatever you want to call it. Uh but I'm sure, yeah, you get that label of fifth overall stamped on you and, and the Camelos Blazers and their history and everything's going on there. It's 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 kind of tough to say no to that unless you're like really, really committed to, you know, wanting to be an NCAA hockey player. Yeah, it's
0: I mean, I I guess small town kind of Small town kid. My dad never played hockey. My mom, my dad's from New Zealand, so he was more of a rugby player. So obviously didn't have a ton of knowledge about the NCAA route, the hockey world in general. Um, So it was just one of those things that it seemed like the path for me and where I was at development wise. Um, Part of it, I'm sure my dad wanted me to get off the books as well. So didn't want to pay for my hockey anymore. So um yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in It's an hour and 15 minutes down the road. Uh, I felt comfortable with the situation there. They felt comfortable with me,
1: and
0: it's kind of how I ended up there.
1: Cool. Were you an early developer from a personal standpoint? Like, you're a big, big man, you know, 6'3", 200. Did, did you grow early, and was that part of uh, kind of one of your advantages early on, or what was your progression like as a player?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was always big, one of the bigger kids in class, all that kind of stuff, so um hockey wise i'd say i kind of developed um gradually i guess you could say obviously between my Wee and bantam years obviously i had an improvement curve that was fairly steep um but i i was definitely physically always bigger than a lot of kids for sure
1: gotcha the uh Without having a dad that was in it, or or a mom, or maybe that knew like a ton about it, was was there anyone locally there like that that would help you from a mentorship side of it, of, of what to do or or how to be in, in that environment?
0: I was, I mean, my parents were great. I mean, um my dad loved the game, so he, it was one of those things. I ended up getting an advisor just because things got, I guess, a little bit overwhelming and things were going in a direction that maybe we didn't see as early. So, um, Joe Oliver out of Vernon there ended up being my, my advisor through the whole thing and, um, my entire career. So, um, it was one of those things we thought obviously was necessary when things started to kind of spiral in that direction. Um, but again, my parents were always a support system that if they didn't know, they'd research it and find it out.
1: Gotcha. That's Since so you bring that up. Maybe we can touch on that just from uh, like the way the game is now, you know, like I, I you're born 1990. I'm a 76. So like 14 years younger, I didn't get an agent until like my, my draft year essentially. Right. I was at the end of my 16 year old year and in junior. And then Mike Barnett approached me and then I ended up getting, uh, you know, signing up with him. That happens like much, much earlier now. Uh what, what role do they play right now as far as f- from from your take as a coach now in the BCHL? Like, well, what are these advisors doing and how do they interact with you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is it is crazy at where it's gone to. I was kind, of, kind of the same way. I didn't even know what an agent was until the, the WHL draft, I guess. So um, nowadays, I think it's a lot to do like recruitment-based um, relationships with agents that have players Um, that they'll tell you, hey, you should take a look at this guy. Um, I guess they're the kind of road in between getting a a hold of the families, all that kind of stuff. The interest in the NCAA route, um, we get a lot of calls from agents that maybe know the parents or know the kid and uh, come and say, hey, this kid was looking to go to school. You should take a look and then kind of lead us into the recruiting phase of talking to the kid. If he has a, is a fit for our, our hockey club, um, different things like that. So they kind of play that middle, line, I guess you could say between a lot of different things, uh, hockey-wise, with the player.
1: So, so there is some truth into that. I know that like with what I do, and and you know, feeling a lot of calls from parents, and they're trying to figure out you know the route or exposure, or you know, do I need an advisor, and 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 I try and. Really temper the waters and say, you I mean it's not a rush? Um, but the reality is, there there is they can help, right, with exposure because you you can't be everywhere, you can't see every kid, and, and I'm sure there's going to be some guys that you trust and say, hey, you know, if they say, hey, take a look at this guy, you, you mean it's probably helpful to you. So maybe there is some benefit to those players.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly it. We don't have the big long scouting staffs like the Western League. We don't have a draft. So we spend a lot of time, obviously, recruiting through video. Uh, Our general manager obviously goes and is on the road. But during the season, it's tough for the staff, hockey staff, to get on the road to go watch these games live. So you rely on opinions that you trust and guys that you trust that have sent you players before that you have a a good working relationship with. So, I mean, there is obviously some benefit to it, um, especially for guys, especially looking to come this way i would say just with that kind of exposure and they can pick up the phone and say hey um so-and-so is looking to come the bchl route here my first call i've sent player there before all that kind of stuff so um, there definitely is some value
1: awesome uh maybe it's a good time for that bridge i know i asked it to see you in your office the other day um so we might as well might as well get it recorded uh i was asking like okay parent involvement right if something's going wrong how often do you talk to parents or do you talk to the the advisor you know is is that is that generally who you would talk to now if there is a disgruntled player or somebody's a little you know whatever the concern is is that who who where your phone rings from
0: yeah majority of the time um i think that's kind of the important piece to it as well is there's always going to be differences and there's going to be conversations to be had. I think for, to have somewhat of a neutral party and not have a parent involved, just because as a parent, you love your kid and you want what's best for your kid. And sometimes it can be through biased eyes, I guess you could say, um, getting that kind of middle, man, you can like have a level headed conversation about what's going on and then he can kind of relay it to the family um and then we can kind of keep our relationship with the family um separate from the hockey how's the kid how's my kid doing um all that kind of stuff more on a personal basis than a I guess a professional basis where um things can obviously get heated in the wrong direction sometimes if there's differing opinions
1: right so if there's any recommendation I know you're just dealing with you as a coach and with the salmon arm silverbacks but that's one of the things that that I try and tell parents is like, whatever, however great the urge is, like, don't pick up the phone, right? Like one, have your player talk to the coach, like encourage that communication and then find somebody else because it's not, you're not the best person to probably handle that, that complaint.
0: Yeah, I I would say the exact same thing. I think there's a responsibility with the player too. Um, I always tell our guys, it's, my door is always open. I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations with those guys. I think it's a, It's a maturing factor too as you go down as you go down the road in the hockey business you're going to be by yourself a lot you're not going to be able to rely on your parents to call uh cooper in tampa or whatever it is i don't think you want that to happen right so i think the earlier you the earlier you learn to communicate with the coach and understand that there's a working relationship there and most often most often times you can come to a kind of a common ground of where I'm coming from, where the player's coming from, and then we can obviously learn and move on from it. Um, Instead of always the second, kind of the third party involvement, I think that face-to-face conversation is always good for the player and for the coach. I think it's
1: way easier to get on the same page. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, So back to you. So you, you, looks like you jumped into the dub as a 16 year old, correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So high draft pick. Go to, go to the WHL at sixteen. Was there much of a discussion about that, or was it if you go to camp, you make the team, you're staying. Like was that essentially how how it would be?
0: Yeah that that was the conversation.
1: Um, signing, playing at sixteen, all that kind of stuff. Right. Now, looking back on it, because um, that's, that's another question that comes up a lot. And I'm sure you kind of even deal with it too, right? Like, is, is my player ready at 16 to be a salmon arm silverback? Or, or do they need to be another, is maybe another year of midget uh, advisable? And when, you look back, when it looks back on your career, uh, was that where you think you should have been? Was that a good year for you?
0: Um, it was a learning experience for sure. Um, it was a rude awakening to what it actually, what it actually looks like. Um, Being from Salmon Arm, just not having that exposure to what some of the guys from Vancouver and people that have been there, had parents that have been there before, it was just a very big learning experience physically, the preparation, the travel, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's always a hard one. Um, I think if you take it the right way, being there earlier is always a good thing as long as you have a mindset of growth and don't get discouraged. Obviously, some people can get discouraged where they're at at a young age. So, um, but I, I also do think just kind of going through the route now and playing pro and seeing the guys kind of come out of college, time's always a good thing. I think the guys that rush into things, I think you would find a lot more stories about, uh, I wish I would have stayed back a year and developed a little bit more and worked on some different things that I didn't get the opportunity to work on. I think you'd find a lot of conversation saying they regret going too early than maybe staying one year later. So it's finding the balance. I think it's also one of those things is kind of finding the balance for you and not comparing yourself to everybody else
1: yeah.
0: uh, is what I find hard for kids these days is their buddies are playing here or they're here and just kind of having, the, I guess, the mindset on what's best for you at that time and having the goal to where you want to get to instead of where your buddies are right now.
1: Right. Yeah, don't you think the, I mean, just up for, for conversation, like I, I think the one thing that gets discounted potentially a little bit too much is the, is the psychological maturity. And maybe maturity is even wrong because then, it, then you, you, you flip the switch to, well, immature. And I'm not saying maybe kids are immature, but they're just not quite there, right? Like to your point, you I mean, you went from A hockey, to a 72 game whl full schedule on the ice every day traveling during the school week you got to get up at four in the morning and go to you know like there's like there's a whole whack of things that are happening there that you know you might not have been like ready for right and there's nothing wrong with not being ready for it um and i i don't know when when i'm talking with parents it's like i think that's a big consideration you know like the the, the readiness and the ability to be able to adjust in that scenario and some can do it better than others.
0: That's, I, I think that's half the battle when you kind of go up different levels. So I can tell you right now I wasn't ready for everything that came as a 16-year-old, but I can tell you right now I was definitely way more ready for it at 17 because I was going to be doing the exact same thing. So yeah. um, it is it – is, some people learn by getting thrown in the fire. Some people learn – taking a step back and, and kind of taking their time through it. So I think it really comes down to the person and, and understanding where they want to get to how they're going to do it. Um, But I can tell you right now, it's a, it's a huge adjustment. Um, Playing double a hockey. I mean, nowadays that we have the academies where they have kind of full days, they have hockey practice, they have school, they have workouts. I mean, playing double a hockey and Sam an arm, I went from being on the ice, for your hour and 15 minute block a week, and then maybe going to the public gym. Like it's a whole different kind of world we're living in now with these kids kind of preparing themselves for the hockey future.
1: Right.
0: Um, Especially with these academies and having those full days compared to, I guess what I had.
1: Yeah, the it, it, players do come out a little bit more more ready, a little more polished, I, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's interesting. I think it's a testament to where you're going too. I mean, this is a message to to the parents potentially listening out there, and maybe the players as well. You know, you, you want to look at the development record of the people that are involved. You know, what I mean, and I can I can you know kind of proudly say with you, and even from like looking backwards just to last season. Uh, a a guy like Becky or a guy like, uh, well, Owen Beckner, I should say, or a guy like Nathan Mackey, right? So Becky's a 16-year-old last year, not even in the lineup all the time, um, but around that environment, right? Like not playing a huge role or huge minutes, fighting to get in the lineup, but around the environment, figuring it out from a school level, you know, figuring out what it's like to be in the locker room. And he comes back this year and he's like a top-line center who looks like he's going to be getting drafted in the NHL, you know? And Nathan Mackey, same thing from like six goals or whatever he had last year. And, And, you know, kind of a role player on the PK to being your leading point guy and wearing the seat, you know, like both these guys, like you could maybe have had the argument that weren't ready, maybe, you know, like, or or could have been somewhere else, but they were in the party, they were at the dance and now they're ready to step in, you know, more so. So I guess why I'm saying that is because not all programs do develop their guys, right? Like what happens to the 16 year old the next year, right? And if you're in a good environment, that, that guy steps into some bigger shoes sometimes. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that part has to do with making them understand what they're doing is important and giving them an understanding of what the process is. I, I just think that some people always think they're in a rush to get things done. I mean, as a 16-year-old, you essentially do have four or five more years a junior. Um, especially with this route, I feel like guys get in such a rush to get to college Uh, when you look at a whl career they go there at 16 they pretty much always play until 19 so you're looking at four three four years there here guys are trying to get in and get out to college as soon as possible and i feel like there's a huge development gap that's missed Um, whether it be gameplay wise playing junior hockey like prep school to junior is a huge difference and then junior to college is even a bigger difference so Um, talking about those two guys is making sure that they understand as we go and they're maybe not doing the things that they did in midget. Um, The process and what they're learning is still going to be important for their process to get to where they want to go. Both guys get scholarships this year right away. Um, But it's also a testament to them. They have to trust what we're telling them, what we're doing. Um, And I think, as much as it goes for us helping those guys, I think it's just as important for them to trust what we're telling them
1: and kind of have
0: that working relationship that they understand that they are gonna get what they deserve if they keep going down this path. And it's always one of those ones in the recruiting. When you're recruiting, those are the kind of guys that you want to point to because they did go through it the proper way and the right way, and they did everything the right way. So it's always good to see those guys get rewarded, good for our program Um, but I do obviously love seeing the growth from a 16 year old to a 17 year old to an 18 year old and then they go to college and have success there too I mean we just had one in Simon Tassie that was here as well all the way until his 20 year old year and now he's having a great start with Mankato so um, that's that's the beauty of this job that's the fun part of it
1: yeah yeah no and I was I was actually going to say and you 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 hit that I mean it's awesome to have Not 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 only for your recruitment process with people who haven't stepped into it yet, but also just even within the culture of the team itself, right? To see kind of to have those guys that are like their current day that they can see and and watch that progression, right? That this is that there is a route, right? There is a pathway if if you wanna, if you wanna follow it, And, and there's some success at the end of that pathway if you wanna follow it too. So from a culture standpoint, from a trust building standpoint, that's that's really good stuff, and and I and I brought that up too because the Blazers were no, were were famous for like bringing in, you know, sixteen year olds. Um, you know, Jerome McGinnis is always the one that, that comes to mind the most. You know, I mean, because it's it's so compelling to think that a Hall of Famer couldn't get in the lineup at sixteen years old at WHL, right? Like, and and he he didn't, you know, and his minutes were, came after the second period in his sixteen year old year, like when he was in the lineup, and and he said yeah. it was a hell of a hard time for him, but. He learned so much being around those guys and being in that environment that he was ready for his next year, which was his draft year, and he had a way bigger role, right? So, um, which again, me pointing back to the programs, right? When that's kind of part of the culture, uh, I think it's a good spot. Sometimes you can get lost, still going there a little bit too early. But, anyways, back to you. I mean, you jumped in there, had a couple of seasons. Look like maybe you had some injury problems or something the second year, but you got you you had a heck of a year, your draft year, like thirty goals, sixty nine points, a point a game guy, and we're uh, we're a fourth rounder to the uh, to the Blues. So. Maybe a little bit about that season. What was that one like for you?
0: Yeah, that was the. I did have some injuries. Obviously, as I broke my le- my leg as a seventeen year old, it was obviously a disappointing thing because it was actually my draft year. Um, didn't get drafted. I ended up going to Saint, San Jose camp, development camp in the summertime, um, and then just kind of came back. I had it obviously, obviously worked hard in the summertime, different things like that. Um, wasn't expecting to get drafted. It was a little bit of a surprise, just as like, kind of when I was going through it, the, as you passed your draft here, it wasn't as common to get drafted as it is now. Yeah. Um, so it kind of caught me by surprise. I got a phone call from Al McInnes on, on that day saying I was drafted. I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't sitting at home watching the draft, any of that kind of stuff. So, um, no, it was a pretty exciting time for um, my family obviously me um, so yeah it was unexpected but it was awesome
1: that's super cool and that's a high pick I mean again second year of eligibility for, I mean, 108th overall uh, you know and super cool that it was a surprise like that so that's great so how did that change like even your perspective on that summer you know hitting into uh, you know your first NHL camp that must have been pretty exciting yeah, uh, it was it went to um, San Jose, but not, not the NHL big boys were there when you, when you no, went to that one, I assume, right?
0: No, they weren't. So yeah, it was, it was different. I mean, it was a lot of, let's make sure I'm ready to go. I don't want to, I don't want to look bad when I go. So, um, but it was, it was a great experience. It was one of those things that I got to end up going to main camp that year as well. So I got to spend two and a half weeks there and got to kind of come back and carry that on into my years being around those guys um seeing the level of play seeing how they practice it's just a whole different it's a whole different thing so um it was it was a good experience for me um especially coming back into my 19 year old season where ended up being the captain of the team and different things like that so um no it was definitely something that shaped what my 19 year old year looked like that's cool
1: any uh any memorable people or any memorable moments from that two and a half weeks? There were some pretty damn good players on that, uh, on that blues team when you were there. Yeah,
0: no, there was, I I mean, um, uh, there's so many different things. I mean, like Keith Kachuks is is ripping around the rink there. A guy that I grew up watching play Um, different, like Barrett Jackman, just just a bunch of really good guys that TJ Oshu was really good with the, with the rookie guys, you take guys out for dinner and make you feel involved. So, um, there's just some really good guys and some, it's a, it's always an interesting experience when you go from watching guys play to kind of playing with them. So it was definitely something that I'll always remember. Um, but yeah, those are kind of some names that come to my mind for sure.
1: Right. Did, um, I want to get into your pro career a little bit because, uh, Shit, pros are grind, you know. And then I see that you're up and down a little bit from the EC to the A, and and most of your games uh, at the beginning were in the A. Did you ever get in an NHL exhibition game during the during your time with the Blues?
0: Yeah, every every year that I was there, I played exhibition games there.
1: Oh, cool! Those are fun. Yeah. Like that's the real deal. I mean, like getting in one of those.
0: Yeah, I know it's as close as you can get um, to not having one on your on your elite prospects, I guess you could say. So right. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, Go ahead. it's cool. No, I just, yeah, it's uh, It's one of those things you're just so close, but yet so far away.
1: Yeah, it, yeah true, true. It's, uh, it's pretty memorable though, either way. Just want to take a short break from the conversation with Tyler Shattuck to do something that I haven't necessarily done before in one of these breaks. And that is to acknowledge, first and foremost, the Salmon Arm Silverbacks. Uh, I think their decision to include someone like me, and obviously I'm grateful that they decided to include me uh, as part of their coaching staff and as part of their player support program, Um, but I want to recognize that initiative and that progressiveness and that recognition that the players can use some support, whether it be how to be better on the ice, how it Or whether it be how to deal with some stress and anxiety off the ice uh, because they are going through so much the young adults right now that are moved away from home that are trying to battle the stresses of getting in the lineup and being productive and and showing up when the scouts are there and and all the you know all, all the performance demands that happen from the ages of 16 through 20 Uh, Not to mention all the community demands and and all the social demands that go on with being a a junior hockey player. Uh, It's great for the Salmon Arm Silverbacks to recognize that, you know what, this isn't a two or three person job, meaning the coaches and the assistant coaches. But this can be somebody else that comes in uh, to give these players some, some support on the on the mindset aspect of it whether it be uh mental fitness in general or or mental health whatever words you want to put across to it uh i think it's 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 really impressive And, and it should be something that is impressive to parents out there when you are looking for an organization of where to send your young daughter or your young son to do they have something in place that is going to offer support to your player if adversity strikes, or if they want to take their game to a new level, or 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 you fill in the blank, uh, is their support for that, where they are going. So kudos to the Salmon Arm Silverbacks for being progressive in this day and age, for, for stepping into something and investing in something that is not only going to help their players now in the season, going to make their team more productive, uh, more successful, um ask Tyler Shattuck um about about that you know a more resilient team a a team that believes in each other a team that has the locker room in place is definitely to get better production on the ice uh and also investing in their in their in their human beings in not just the player but in the people that are a part of that team and, and supporting them with whatever they may be happening uh away from the rink so yeah, whether it's the salmon Arm silverbacks or whether it's another junior team out there or a WHL team or OHL or USHL or a college team, you name it, not everybody has that in place. So if you are an organization out there, I applaud you. Uh, and f- as far as a player is concerned, do not underestimate the power of having somebody in your corner that is all about you and is all about what you want and how to get what you want. Um, and Tyler recognized that in this interview. He said, you know what? Like, I am there for these guys. I have an open-door policy. I want to support them. But sometimes it's hard to talk to the coach about everything. Or maybe there is some misunderstanding between the coach and the player. Uh, that is hard for the player to ask that other question again. You know, there there is there is still a player-coach relationship no matter how much of a player-coach you are. And uh, and Tyler recognizes that need, and it's a service that his players utilize and uh, and benefit from. So again, thank you to Salmon Arm. Thank you for bringing me in. Thank you to the players who have been so awesome to work with. If you are. Uh, listening to this interview with your coach and uh by the way you should be uh (laughs) you should want to know about your coach and about his history and what he believes in and what he's all about so uh, if there's any silverbacks listening thank you for allowing me to be a part of your group and uh and including me in your journeys and uh i do value our time together so let's get back to that conversation with tyler shett so what? What about the A? What was the biggest transition? J- jumping from being the captain of a of a of a historic WHL franchise like the Blazers, and, and being and being real productive while you were there, to to turning that page, you know, becoming becoming pro eligible age, um, and having to earn your paycheck. What? what how did how did that go?
0: Oh yeah, it was
1: uh like I talked about my sixteen mm-hmm. year old um, year,
0: in the Western League, it was the same type of thing. Uh, just go from being in Calgary, winning the league championship to playing in the Memorial cup to basically having a two month summer to get ready to go to NHL camp. Um, It was, it was an eye-opening experience that now, now it's a job, right? Like guys have families. It's not the, it's not the junior team kind of environment. Like you come to the rink, you do your job, uh, you go home, you got a lot of, you got a lot of time away from the rink. Um, you're living on your own, you're cooking on your own. There's no more billets anymore. So, um, it's one of those things is it's kind of the same way you got thrown into the fire. You're living by yourself. Now you got to figure it out again. So, um, it was definitely tough for sure. Definitely went home with some learning lessons, trying to figure some things out. But yeah, it was definitely, like I said, it's a, it's a tough league. So travel on a bus to a lot of places. You're playing three games in three nights. Uh, everybody's trying to go up, and no one wants to get sent down. So it's a it's a tough league. And guys that have played years in that league, I commend
1: them because it's it's not easy. Yeah. What was the was that the biggest transition, like sort of the life transition from being you know a junior billeted kind of player to uh, you know you're on your own on your own with everything, uh, or or was there or was there a pretty big transition from the hockey side too? Uh, a little bit of both. It's definitely, personally, it's definitely a huge
0: transition. Um, but then the hockey too, like things get faster. You got older guys that have been doing it, um, playing pro for eight, 10 years, right? So you're playing against men. Um, still at 20 years old, kind of coming out of the Western League. I wouldn't say guys are fully matured by, by any, any means physically. Um, so definitely an adjustment the speed of the game, how things are played, um, the readiness, the preparation, all that kind of stuff just kind of goes to a different level.
1: Yeah. And then the one thing I talk about with players and it's kind of tough to grasp unless you're there is like that you know, like the whole the whole tightening of the funnel, right? Like that there's a lot of good players. One, it's hard to make major Junior. It's hard to make the BCJ, right? Like it's not like these are easy leagues to make and then you do well there and you earn your promotion or your contract and you graduate, but then everyone's really good, even better at the next stop, you know? So it's like, I find that a lot of guys and myself, what was included in that a little bit later in my career is like, how do you find your spot? You know what I mean? And what is your spot and how do you become relevant and allow yourself to to grow in that spot? can you speak to that a little bit like becoming like finding your identity as a pro hockey player and in that organization because sometimes that matters too right like where you, where you plant you, that's where you're supposed to grow and sometimes where you get planted isn't always the best spot to grow. <laughs> yeah no it's a, it's a good point it's it's one of
0: those things is you go everybody that's got to that league was a successful junior player. It's just that's just the fact of the matter and um, being able to do different things. It's obviously something that I probably learned too late is you, you you're not, if you score in one league, you're not always going to be a scorer. That's just, that's just not how it is. So you find a lot of people that make it in the NHL and all that kind of stuff is find a role and they're just really, really good at it. And they're able to adjust to the difference of it. It's just like you talk, you just look at some of those guys, like take, Brad Marchand, for an example, he played in the American League. He started on the fourth line in Boston and then he worked his way up. He was able to adjust and be valuable to that team in a role. And then his role continued to progress. I think it's just having that perspective on just because that's where you are now is not where you're always gonna be, I guess you could say, Um, but also being willing to do something different to make sure that you're valuable um to that team to that organization i guess to that coach at that point it's a business every the coaches are trying to get to the nhl as well so they're trying to win games and they're going to see fit who they put out there that they best think that's going to have that happen and there's only so much room for scores it's like i always tell these guys like you're never going to play first line right wing in Washington in Washington until Ovechkin retires. So you better be able to do something different uh, <laughs> if you want to get up there. So it's just one of those things, like I said, if I had any kind of advice, it'd be be willing to do different things and have a perspective of there is a growth process that happens um, even in the pro ranks to where you are in the lineup to begin with to where you want to get to. And those are usually the guys that end up making it and staying yeah
1: yeah that self-assessment is a is a pretty it's a very valuable skill you know and i mean it's one of the things i work on with with your players right and and i know you work with it a lot too but is is you know what are you and, and, and what are you good at and what do you need help help with you know and when you can answer those questions well uh the more utilitarian you can be uh especially trying to break in i think that's the biggest thing right that that level up like as soon as you level up and you're stepping up a level and everyone's older than you and everyone's been there for a little bit longer, you know, and everyone has more experience, like you need to be relevant. And uh, and the more utilitarian you can be and the more willing and adaptable you are, it just allows yourself to become relevant quicker, I think. You know, and I think that's where a lot of these guys kind of lose it. And then you've seen it a lot of times, too. You get on that slippery slope and once you start being forgotten about, it's hard to get back in, you know. Yeah, I
0: mean. I'm sure there's a lot of people on this side of things that say that they wish they knew some of the stuff that on the coaching side of things when they were a player and I'm the exact same way. It's just, like you said, being relative and, and what can you do to help that team, I guess, win hockey games any given night. And I don't know if you, if you look at the American league, it's not always the leading scorers that get called up. That's kind of the point that I try to get through to guys as well is it's guys that, the coaches trust that they could put him in, in a role in, I'll use St. Louis for an example, just because that's where I was drafted to is they're looking to fill a spot that they can trust this guy to play. Um, I mean, it's just like Andrew Shaw is a prime example. I remember playing against him in, in Rockford and he was a, like a third line guy in Rockford. He would fight sometimes. He'd be physical, ends up getting called up to Chicago and never comes back because he always found himself useful no matter where he was put in that lineup up there and it had gave him a consistent job in the NHL for i guess i guess 10, 10 years I, i'm not sure how long his career was but i know that he never came back down
1: yeah no great yeah, great point that's a great point there's uh yeah there there's a lot of players like And they're starting to do a better job at it, actually, the teams. Because, I mean, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, like my day, uh, they very rarely called up for the role that they needed. Right. Like it it was quite like, for instance, I would get called up as a leading goal scorer in the AHL. But then they would put me in a fourth line scenario. Right. And say, like, now go check or whatever. Go run somebody over. You know what I mean? Like, which was fine. I would be willing to do that. But now they would actually call up like a third line guy to go do that. Right. Because that's what they're good at. You know, and then they'd wait for somebody to go down. Uh, to, to bring you up, so I, I do like the fact that they're starting to make those call ups a little bit more specific mm-hmm. now. Um, but a good point—I like, I had a little bit inside hockey with the Canucks back when Travis Green was there, and they had that. P- there was Peters- a guy named Peterson on the AHL team that was doing quite well. He was in, like not older guy, but I'd like, say 24. Uh, had had some goals or whatever, and there was there was the discussion of like or, or the discussion in the AHL was this guy wanted like he thought he wanted to be more productive and more this and more that, and mm-hmm. and the discussion with Greener was like. I don't care how many goals he has because, like, he's not going to – I need him to get pucks out out of his own end on the half wall. Like, can he do that? Because if he's coming up here, that's what I need him to do. You know, he's not going to be on the PP. And I. I, so even at that level, right, the pro level guys are getting, you know, kind of – they don't get it, right? Like, they want to be produced. But you're not going to take Elias Peterson's spot, right? Like, that's not how you're going to step into the NHL. So yeah, I know you go through it all the time on a, on a daily basis, trying to keep these, to teach these guys the nuances of the game and, and why the details matter. Right. But again, back to that leveling up process, my God, when the, when you do find a player that takes those details seriously, like those are the guys you fall in love with as a coach. Yeah. And it,
0: it's just one of those, those are the, always the guys that end up moving on. And it's just like, you could have example and example and example of it. I mean, it's, it's one of those ones I played with Ryan Reeves in, in, in Peoria, and he found what he was good at. He could play a role. St. Louis called him up. He'd never been back to the American League ever. He's not, he's not a guy that led our team in goals, but he would play physical. He would fight. He would do things that other guys didn't want to do. Um, I just think some people sometimes get lost in the fact that the goals matter, but that's not all that matters. There's a lot of things that go on to a winning NHL hockey team that guys need to do that some guys just aren't willing to do. And Mm -hmm. if you can find yourself in that territory, you're going to always have a spot in those lineups and you're always going to have a job.
1: Yeah. Yeah, great point. When you look back on your pro career, and you know, I, I want to get into what you're doing now, uh, but definitely want to want to give respect to you know the, all the pro seasons that you had. Like, what was the biggest challenge? I mean, I guess mentioned that you went down to the to the coast, which is which is something that you obviously didn't want to have to do. Um, where where was it in sort of if you were to look back and, and give Tyler advice, or when you, you see a po- pocket in time where maybe it was the biggest learning curve? Like, what what would that have been? Well, I'm um, probably that's probably why i'm talking
0: about it so much is because i felt that was probably the thing is just willing to do something different i just felt i scored in junior i'm going to score in pro and that's what they want from me and all that kind of stuff and i just think i got lost a little bit in that i couldn't find couldn't find that niche to the point of where i needed to get to or how to be valuable to that organization so that would probably be my advice to, uh, if I were ever to get to go back and do it again or if there was somebody in the same scenario is just make yourself valuable in whatever way that is. Um, be prepared for anything um, and make sure you're always ready because there might be a time somebody gets hurt and they're going to throw you into a situation. you got to be prepared to I, – I don't want to say steal, but that, that's kind of what happens in the hockey world is opportunities arise And sometimes people just don't give them back and that's the nature of the business. So always kind of keep your, your mind sharp and prepared for what might happen. Um, But on the same, have the perspective of how to be valuable at that moment.
1: Yeah. Great point. One of the things I talk about is like that. I mean, there's a lot of words to describe it, but like guys will have resistance to do something that they don't think they should be doing, right? But they've been given some type of a role or some type of a job. And and when I look back in the podcast, I remember I, I clipped it, so it's, it's memorable for me, but Jason Krog, who's probably a name that you know, he's a Hobie Baker winner there at the NCAA level, and a teammate of mine, a, a pro, and he talked about an opportunity that he had in the NHL. It was a story, and he was like, I, I got called up to Columbus. I was leading the IHL in points, right? i just won the MVP. And this guy, he was like, I think it was Hartley. Hartley puts me on the power play, and he put me net front. And he's like, I'd never been net front, and the whole time I'm sitting net front, I'm taking cross checks from the back, and I'm saying, why in the f am I net front, you know? And he's like, God, if I would have just embraced the fact that I was net front, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. I could have, I could have, I could have handled that job, like that opportunity, way differently. But there was resistance in me that I didn't think I was supposed to be there. So, kind of a small little mental mi- mindset example, right? Of like of that you know i mean whatever role you're getting there like own that role and that's not the thing i think that the guys the guys do forget right like be grateful with that thing do it really well to pro- provide your value there and then maybe you get that other opportunity and you know brent gilchrist who i just had on before you i mean he essentially said the same thing like he said his his career was extended uh by years because he felt that he was like a swiss army knife you know that that he could yeah. penalty kill was a character guy if somebody went down in the first line he could go up he could check on the third line you know he said he he had he had value to the team in more ways than one and he took pride in that right and and I think uh it's a great way to get in and it's also a great way to stick around so anyways I I echo what you're saying there as far as um as far as you like did you know at at any particular point I mean you didn't retire too long ago I see your last year pro is 2018 jeez uh, that's not long ago at all like at that point were you were you already thinking about ah, I wouldn't mind maybe be behind the bench
0: I wasn't uh, I mean I'll be honest with you that was honestly probably the furthest thing from my mind um just going through all the all the stuff and kind of traveling and doing that stuff I thought I was going to be done with it so ended up going and getting all my firefighting stuff uh thought I was going to go into that fully certified for all that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. And then while I was doing that, I was back in Salmon Arm and volunteered with the team kind of just to be around, uh, help guys wherever they needed, and then never left. So um, didn't put the firefighting stuff to use, but kind of fell in love with the other side of it, getting to kind of teach kids like the stuff that we're talking about and the perspective of what they're going to face in the future. So um, yeah, like I said, never left and couldn't be happier.
1: Cool, that's awesome. And uh, I guess just on that note, you I mean you're into your third third season as head coach now, and uh, not a small responsibility. As I said before, I mean the BCHL is a, is a hell of a league, and a lot of people want to coach there. So, and you're in a great organization, and a great community too. So, awesome spot for you. Uh, but now that you're in it, is this something that now you have aspirations of? Yeah, I want to see where this game takes me in this regard. Is is, is that your is that your plan and your own personal goal?
0: Yeah, I think I'm too competitive a person not to do that, I think. Um, But as of right now, I'm still just learning so much on this side of the coin. Like Obviously, the ownership group here in Salmon Arm gave me an opportunity that I didn't see coming. Um, I know I was kind of volunteer and then assistant coach. And then um, they kind of asked me if... um, I'd be able to do it. And I kind of said yes and jumped into the fire a little bit. Obviously, still learning a lot of stuff. So, um, super grateful for the opportunity these, these guys gave me here. Um, but, like I said, it's one of those things is, as competitive people, you, you always look at where you could go and all that kind of stuff. So, but right now, I'm very, very content on trying to win here in Salmon Arm. I'm a firm believer of never leaving something worse than um when you got here so um I want to be the first or I shouldn't say I I think that's a little bit selfish but I want this team to be um the first one to to win a championship here in Salmon Arm Um, I think it would be pretty special
1: that would be fantastic uh well my own two cents I'll I'll give you a pat on the back obviously I've been around a lot of coaches and a lot of teams in my day and I I mean I I really like what you're doing there and your, your structure and uh the way you coach even, like your your ideas and strategies and your practices are great. So, you I mean, you're doing a really lots of good stuff there. So, congratulations on that. Uh, one of the things, I guess, that's a disadvantage for you in a young coach is being the head guy without kind of a mentorship group around, right? Because traditionally, you would be in a you know in an assistant role or whatever with somebody who's been around the game and, like you said, be kind of learning the craft as you go. So, you've been thrown in the fire and, and doing really well with it. Is there anyone that you lean on outside of the team or – or wherever, like as far as to get that, uh, you know, to, to flex your coaching chops and, uh, you know, try and learn from somebody? Oh, that's,
0: a, that's a good question. It's probably something I should do more of. Um, I think it's one of those ones. Um, you talk to, like, some guys in the league, but, I mean, Dave Oliver is a guy that I kind of had some golf rounds with in the summertime. His brother was obviously my agent growing up. Uh, he was in New York for a while so I try to obviously bounce some ideas some things that they did there um, I talked to Mark Reckie a little bit his kid was a player here he was obviously an owner when I went through it in Kamloops um, so guys like that that have been there that have played um, that have been kind of at the highest of levels um, I know things are done differently a little bit there but at the end of the day it's it's still hockey and there's a lot of stuff that you can take from there to teach, um, the teenage, like the teenagers here and the junior guys. So, um, I would say those two guys, I, I, have bounced ideas off. They've given me some different stuff from the NHL stuff and shared some things with me and kind of tried to help
1: me out. So, um, I appreciate everything that they've done. That's awesome. Uh, if you were to look back at, at Tyler Shattuck from, from, your your first game behind the bench to where you're at now you know you're a young coach and uh, and to yourself I mean to say you're growing and you're you're learning that side of the game well where do you think the biggest growth has been for you in your in your coaching from day one
0: understanding that you can't go out and change it so it's uh my first few years I mean probably a little bit emotional behind the bench um at times instead of kind of reading situations and understanding that it's going to end up ultimately having to be the players that change the course of what's going on. So being able to relay information that I see um, in the game and teach instead of emotionally, I guess, trying to teach, kind of takes take a step back, um, read the situation, and then obviously translate it to the team so that they can learn it the best possible instead of being the emotional response and yelling and screaming and different stuff like that. So I think that would be, I would say probably my biggest growth so far.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, isn't it interesting too, because sometimes like our most natural like instincts are the things that we kind of have to try and tame, you know, in in some aspects and uh, you know, a fiery, a fiery guy, maybe that can be uh, an advantage at times, but sometimes you have to rein in. So cool, thanks for sharing. Uh, I was, I was, we talked a little bit before, kind of where I wanted to talk, and I want to talk about the hats that you wear in, in that position. Uh, I, I know, you know, a lot of my listeners are, are interested in that, not only from like your perspective, but also they have a young player, you know, playing Bantam or Midget. Like, how do we, how do we get this LOI that people keep talking about? You know, like, how do we, how do we get AP'd? Uh, so as far as the hats are concerned, I I kind of said I mean one you're 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 a recruiter I mean you get help from the GM you get help from your assistants but you are recruiting players you're also coaching the team that is there right now and you're developing those guys and and there's also a goal of moving these players on to allow their allow their goals to happen uh, which which one is. Uh, like how, how does that how does that work? Is it segmented? Is there, is there a time of year? It Seems like recruiting time is kind of happening now. Um, is, are you shifting more into that mode at this point in the season?
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's a tough one. It it is one of those things. It's kind of why it's it's a great league to learn in, just because you do have to do a lot of different stuff. It's like kind of what I talked about earlier. Is there's not a big scouting staff and and all that kind of stuff, right? So do a lot of watching on video. Um, with the new programs and all that kind of stuff it makes it very easy to kind of sit down and watch games and watch players um yeah but the recruiting is a it's a it's a continual 12-month thing i find i find if you're not on it continuously you're behind so um it's one of those things that that's probably what has been one of my biggest learning curves is that portion of things and just Picking up the phone and calling and seeing how somebody's doing and kind of, I'm watching you play, all that kind of stuff and keeping in contact because there could be 18 other, well, not even 18, there could be 30 other teams calling that same player trying to get them to come to their program. So it's just, it's just one of those ones is you really got to, you got to sell the program and I guess sell what you're doing and then also have the the results to show what you're saying is true so that's probably been my i would say for sure my biggest adjustment is just that portion of it um there's no draft like the western league all that kind of stuff right so it's 18 teams probably vying for a lot of the same pool that have free reign to call these kids whenever they want um so it is definitely it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting process
1: mm-hmm.
0: at learning what kids want, what kids see, um, what they're looking for in a program, all that different kind of stuff. So, yeah, I would say recruiting 12 months of the year. Let's
1: take another short break from the conversation with Tyler. Uh, and I'm going to follow up on the heels of, of the last break. You know, if you are a team out there that, you don't have somebody and that doesn't mean like that even means at the amateur level, the minor hockey level, if you're a competitive program, uh, and you are in the development business, but you're also about winning games, uh, and you're also about wanting to have a program that, uh, you know, that sort of stands above the rest and you're in a recruitment based type system uh you should definitely consider supplying somebody like me uh up my hockey to your program and uh, and you will see the benefits. You will see the benefits on the ice, you will see the benefits in the locker room, you will see the benefits with the parent group. Um it, it is quite profound sometimes the, the, the changes that happen. And again, let's be honest, you mean to run a hockey team as a head coach and to expect the head coach to be able to handle all of the stuff that Up My Hockey handles? Uh, it's really not possible. There's only so many hours in a day and many of these coaches have their own jobs and their own lives and their own kids. And, uh, and it's very hard now to supply some type of mindset, uh, training, service development, personal growth uh, is difficult right and it's but it's so so necessary, and again, not only on the performance aspect but also on the human development aspect to give these tools to empower them uh, to empower these players with with the uh, with the tools to be more resilient to be able to handle adversity to be able to come through when the lights are the brightest and the stage is the biggest uh, so by all means if this am I speaking to uh to somebody right now that's involved in an association or involved with a team or involved with an academy and you want to step in to the new age of hockey and the new age of player support, which is getting them uh, the, the uh, mental fitness support that they require, by all means, upmyhockey.com is where you will find me and the programs that I offer, expanding into associations for this coming fall. Uh, if you are somebody that wants to take advantage of that or get your planning done now, so you know this is going to be a program that you're going to introduce right at the start of the year and have a team growth uh, like you've never seen before a team building, uh, event like you've never experienced before, uh, to give your, your group a better advantage and also the individuals within it a chance to shine, uh, then UpMyHockey is the place for you. So once again, UpMyHockey.com for, for, uh, the ability to contact me and to look at the programs. And I would love to work with you at association level, uh, if that is something that you're interested in. So let's get back to that conversation with Tyler Shattuck, head coach of the Salmon Arm silverback Do you think that's an advantage to the to the process of being like junior A? I uh, I mean, I guess it's the same process as college. Like all kids, all players are fighting. You know, I mean, all colleges are fighting for the same players. Uh, it seems to me like it. I don't know. Like maybe there's a there's some different way. But I guess we're not here to solve the thing. But do you see there's an issue there? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, or, or or how do you see it?
0: Um. Well, for the player, it's great. Right, um, they get to choose where they feel the most comfortable, where they see, um, where they see themselves in the lineup, all that kind of stuff. Right, like they get yeah. to make a lot of choices that the other side of things you don't really get to. You get drafted to a spot, and that's the spot that you need to be, and you need to figure it out. Um, here, you get you get a bit of a choice on what it is, and it's kind of like college too like you get to choose, you get to go on a fly down and see what the college is like, all that kind of stuff. Um, feel what's best for you. What's the best fit for your family academically, all that kind of stuff. So there is a little bit more choice I find with this route, um, and really getting to do the research to where you feel the best.
1: When you are in the recruitment mode, and I think this is probably relevant for, uh, well, even for me, I mean, uh, being a hockey dad and and people are trying to navigate those waters. Like when, when you're seeing a player uh, let's say come out of the CSSHL, the Academy system, uh, or you're seeing a player come out of the prep prep league in, in the Eastern United States there. Uh, And obviously you find players in other places as well, but is there, is there one that you would be more apt? I mean, that's the wrong question. I I don't know how to phrase it, but what what are the players like, or what's the biggest transition for, for these guys coming out of these different areas? yeah
0: i I think it's a little bit different in all different kind of areas i think i i just find kids are so highly skilled these days and they come out they skate really well they got skating coaches they got stick handling coaches they got everything it's it's more the the teaching of the game uh i find when the transition to coming to junior to junior um Uh, sometimes the defensive side, even just how you're going to create offense in junior and then how you're going to create offense in college, it just doesn't look the same as how you create offense in in prep or midget hockey. Sometimes you're just better. Now you're running into a lot of guys that are the same level as you um, or better or older, all that kind of stuff. So it's, I, I just find it's a lot of teaching it, what they're going to face in the future, how the game's played at that next level, um, because all these kids are so talented. With, like I said, the game's just come such a long ways and skills, coaches, all that kind of stuff. That um, sometimes I feel like the game play gets lost a little bit. So we spend a lot of time teaching guys that so to help their transition, not only to junior, but when they do go to college, you're going to have to do the same thing. Yeah. So being able to kind of I guess showcase your talents in a structured environment is kind of the transition
1: right are you watching any league more than others like out here I mean when you have eyes on whatever is it the is it the u18 kind of AAA csshl sort of thing that you're finding yourself watching the most yeah we watch a lot of that it's
0: it's one of those ones is there's players everywhere so you try to it's, it's, it's one of those two. It's just word of mouth, right? You can't watch everything all at once. So like we talked about earlier, agents and different things, and you're watching different leagues or a guy that you've been put on to that um, think they can kind of get to the junior level, all that kind of stuff um, leads you to watching a, a bunch of different leagues, really. Mm. Um, it's just one of those ones is if you dominate the league you're in or you do the, the right things in the league you're in, junior teams are going to find you no matter what. Um, so we watch all the leagues, uh, yeah. like I said. So um, like I said before, is make sure you're doing good at where you're at. Um, and the transition to junior will come seamlessly, I guess you could say, but yeah. yeah, to answer your question, we do watch, I don't even, I mean, just because of the CSSHL being in BC and, the academies, we watch it a lot, but we watch the Midget League and all that kind of stuff as well, too.
1: Yeah. yeah, I just noticed from a kind of firsthand perspective now being around the league for a little bit that to me, it seems like just because of the ch CSSHL Uh, environment meaning like how often they're on the ice and how often they're working out and how many games they play in a season that they seem to have a little bit easier time transitioning to the junior level than the prep kids just because it's not quite as intense in that scenario and it's nothing against the prep league because a lot of great players come from that but I'm just talking about the transition to junior hockey seems to be a little bit steeper
0: yeah that I mean and then just like for the watching per like they just do such a good job. Like they have the showcases, the tournaments, you know what I mean? Getting all the teams in one place that you get to watch so many different teams. Um, just the, the showcases and all that kind of stuff and the exposure is just so great to those those kids as they're always playing the, be- the best kids, right? So when you're playing the best, you're going to transition to be playing junior, obviously, easier. Um, that doesn't mean you're always going to be better or you're not going to, develop a certain way but that initial transition might be a little bit easier just because of the competition they're playing at
1: yeah you might have said it already but i was going to talk to you about the development of the of the players and you know you want to win junior leagues you want to win and like you said you mentioned that you'd love to bring a championship to salmon arm uh, but you also recognize that for you to have a successful program, you know, developing players and moving them on to the next level is is also super important. Usually, they go hand in hand. Fortunately, uh, but you, not always. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you see? Uh, is it the teaching the players the game? Is that is that where is that where you find yourself most valuable for these for these players coming in at this age? I think so. I mean, we spend a ton of time still doing the individual skill development stuff
0: throughout the year. We make sure that that doesn't get lost in the process. I still think that's obviously very, very important. Um, but going forward, like the teaching of the game, the structured environment, no matter where you go, you're always gonna be playing within a structure. Um, so being able to, to learn it, um, to being able to translate it onto the ice, and then also still use your skill set within that, you're, you'll be way better off than the next guy just because you are always going to see that. No matter where you go, there's going to be systems in place. There's going to be different things that you need to do. Um, just uh, obviously team-wise, so everybody's on the same page. So I do think that's the biggest value. Um, and then, but like I said, is all the other stuff is still very, very important to us as a group. Because if we are developing these guys' skills as well, they're obviously going to be better players for us as an organization and as a team. So finding the balance between the both is is good because I feel like if you're just all structured, kids can kind of get bored and get turned off. Um, so having the component of the other and the skill development, then the gym and the physical development, keeping a good balance between all three keeps the guys motivated and and, and I guess concentrated to what they're doing and it keeps it fresh.
1: Yeah, I mean, to your point, I don't know, maybe you can speak on a personal level, too, but, like, I I didn't know what a defensive zone system was till I got to the WHL, you know, like, no. right? Growing up, I mean, I was scoring goals, and sure, I wanted to get the puck back in our end, but I didn't know what I was doing in there to get it back, you know, and then all of a sudden now we had the structure, and, like, Brian Maxwell – taught us good defensive positioning. And like that was really where I learned the game, as, as, to, to your point. And uh, so I, I assume that hasn't changed. It might even be worse now, to be honest, with all the individual skill development going on.
0: Yeah, it's the, we, we call it dog park defense here. Everybody's just chasing, chasing the ball around. Okay. Um, everybody wants the puck so bad and are so used to having it that you, the perspective of you spend about 95% of the game without it, um, learning the position to put yourself in to get it back or all that kind of stuff is, is very, very valuable as you move up in leagues. But um, yeah, it's, it definitely is one of those things is, like you said, is kids want the puck they got skills coaches, stick handling coaches, shooting coaches, like everything's done in that matter. So they're just so used to having it that you find a lot of times, a lot of times people are chasing it. Um, and putting themselves in worse positions to get it back. So just kind of taking a step backwards and teaching these guys what that looks like and the positions that that kind of looks like that you're going to have more chance of getting it back at the junior college and then hopefully pro level is is super important in our process with these players to make sure that
1: they're NCAA ready. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, and again, talk about being relevant to a team. You know, like... It, being able to keep the puck out of your net and understand how to do it is a really good start to being able to get on the ice, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a trust factor with with people, right? And
0: I mean, the defensive part of the is great, and we teach that, but also the offensive side of it, it's just you're just not going to be able to create the same way that you did. You're not going to be able to skate through everybody and go between the legs and all. Like, there's very few guys that can kind of just always do that throughout where they go. So. The different spots and the work without the puck and putting yourself in a position it's just it's just very very important for these guys to see and understand and learn so i think that's a that's a huge component of our video um just showing these guys the spots that are open and different things like that when they don't have the puck which will lead to them having obviously
1: more success in the future when uh if you were to describe uh a Tyler Shattuck team to somebody or like what the cornerstones of that would be? Like, what do you want your teams to look like and, and, and what do you want them to be like to play against?
0: Uh, first and foremost, competitive. I think we're a group that doesn't want to ever give an easy game. Um, I think you're going to find that we want to play with some pace. We play north-south north, south hockey. I mean, it's all cliches and all that kind of stuff, but it's the only way you can play play fast and play with some pace. Um, so yeah, I would say competitive fast, we work hard. Um, and obviously we're going to put as much pressure on you as possible. I think the more pressure you put on teams, especially in junior, um, eventually other teams will crack. So we're a high pressure
1: competitive team. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's a fun way to play too. You know, uh, And you have to cater to your tools, but I guess that's one of the advantages of being in in the chair you're in is, you know, at the NHL level, you're not involved in who shows up at your door. You got to coach what's been given to you, right? Like, and if you have an idea, an identity idea of what your team, what a silverback is, and you're the guy picking up the phone, uh, you can kind of, you know, it's on you to create that a little bit too, right? Because then you know who's showing up.
0: It's it's a good point. Yeah, you kind of recruit what you see and what you want and what you think is going to fit with the group that we've kind of created so um that is also an advantage that we have is that you can kind of create that and mold the team and the culture that you really want to have here um yeah and it's not kind of just working with what you've been given it's kind of you get to choose what you're given and then also you have to make that grow and make that obviously a competitive team and a competitive culture within the league. So it is a pretty cool, um, experience being able to kind of do that. Your head coach, GM, you're all kind of in one trying to build what you think is a championship team.
1: Yeah. And there's no finger pointing too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, You can only, only point it at yourself.
1: (laughs) What'd you bring this guy in for? Oh, I'm the guy who brought him in. Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh goodness. Um, that's cool. I I think we, uh, I mean, that's about the hour. I I think we should touch a little bit because I think people do know that, uh, you know, that we've been working together now, second season, uh, and just sort of talk about that. Maybe this is the the mental aspect of the game. I know as a player, we sort of had some offline discussions just about it and, and, uh, and sort of how the player has changed, you know, like you, we are, you're kind of a generation from me. And then these players are kind of a generation from you. Uh, and it's been an, an, an evolution and, and not to say better or worse or th- there or not, but there seems to be like, uh, there's definitely, I, th- I say, a higher level of communication. That's one thing that I, that I think that you're really great at with your, with your segment, uh, communications where every player will come through the door and you'll have some feedback to them and they have an opportunity to see you like that kind of stuff didn't exist when you know when I was playing at all I mean there was zero communication you had to figure it out on your own and if you didn't like that was one of the biggest things didn't matter what type of hockey player you were you had to figure out how to handle it all right so the the communication level is much higher just speak to the player today you know like like how much how much that affects your coaching style and uh and, and, and what role that plays in their in their ability to prosper
0: yeah, it's, it's definitely a different player. Um, it's almost more, it's just like they, they want all the knowledge and they want all the video. It's just kind of like when we were playing, the only time you're watching video is if you're doing shitty. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't, I don't want to watch that. Nowadays, kids are coming in to watch and like, hey, I want to watch my shifts. I want to do this. Um, what can I do better? So it's like, I think just with, I guess the cell phone and technology and social media, these kids are just living in such a different world that they just want all the information. So the more communicative you can be with these guys, I find the better. Um, I found as a player, when you're in a state of wonder, you're never good. Um, So the more I can be upfront, honest, they know where I'm coming from, I know where they're coming from. Um, I think it works way, way better um and i think the player feels better about it too they're not always going to love what i have to say um but if i have that kind of relationship individually with the players and the trust that they understand that i'm doing what's best for them we can usually find common ground and we can kind of get through the tough times a lot faster so um but like you said yeah it's it's a different player um and then with the communication and the and the talking it used to be just kind of go home and figure it out Um, if you talk about it you're weak or whatever right now it's kind of the complete opposite the more you can kind of air it out talk about it the better people better people feel about it Um, that's kind of why I think this is so important and obviously why we think it's such an important piece that you work with our hockey team I think our athletes benefit from it um, especially like athletically and as a person and just kind of sometimes having that kind of second source to talk to, that's not me. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm the coach and sometimes they still feel uncomfortable telling me things and that's okay. Um, and that's kind of why we, th- the why we have you here and think it's so important. Um, and it's been very beneficial. And if we, I guess, if you pulled all our players, they would say the exact same thing. So, but yeah, it's just, yeah, the, the, the knowledge thing for me with these players is is the biggest yeah, um, I change, that. especially the video and the video is, is definitely for me is the, is the difference. Like these guys will come in and watch video all day long and like, I can I, you can pry me into that video room unless I was asked <laughs> to go in there because I didn't want to see what was going wrong. So um, it's definitely interesting. It's cool, though. It's definitely just yeah. a different different environment. Think it's a better environment for these guys um for sure
1: yeah yeah i mean and, and to your point well first of all that th- thanks for thanks for the kind words there but it's it's like where i think that sometimes i'm helpful and for each guy it's different but like you'll have these meetings right and, and you'll you'll communicate what it is maybe they're not doing or want to do and and be really like and really good about like the explanation of what the expectation is but it's still difficult to understand how to and how to do it you know what I mean like so they'll leave and it's like okay but so now how do I do that right and and so if there is those question marks like sometimes it's it's the implementation of the ask from 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 a head coach or an assistant coach of like now what does that look like did I change my preparation right what does that have to do with my with my practice habits what does that have to do with my routines right and so that's where sometimes these guys can can help from you know and, and me sitting with them somewhere else and like trying to put those pieces together a little bit so it makes the the action happen a little faster and then sometimes like yeah it's like you know it, it, it's a it's a mom thing or it's a dad thing or like whatever right it's not nothing really to do with on ice stuff but it's a source of pressure that just a human being type scenario that they don't really have anyone to share that with and uh and sometimes you can help them through some stuff so uh it's nice I, I do think it's nice it takes a little bit of pressure off of you I think as a coaching staff I think it takes a little bit of pressure off the guys and you have sort of a middle liaison that just is sort of there to help everybody out you know and I and I think that they feel that and it's uh, it's been fun to support your group so thanks for mentioning it but I, I just want to talk about the resilience aspect because that is one thing I think with the players like the ability to handle adversity I think is a little bit more challenging for players now and 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 uh I have my reasons. I think, I think it's kind of like the environment that they've been brought up with, like that there hasn't been much opportunity for that, whether it be like never having to try and make the team. Cause you know, or whether it be, you know, the parents getting involved to solve everything or whatever that case may be. But I do think that, you know, what you and I were used to handling or thought we should handle, like some of these guys aren't that great at understanding that this is kind of on them to own. Do you see that as well?
0: Very much. Yeah. It's, it, it's a it's definitely a tough one. Um, I think it's it's one of those ones I feel like the whole tryout process is is disappeared almost. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like when they're g- growing up in minor hockey, there's just so many different places to play. And it's kind of just like if this one doesn't work out, I'll just go to a different one. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like pick one and no matter what's thrown at you, Figure it out. Figure your way through it, um, and and that's the hard part because in this game you're going to face it at some point. And if you have, if you ha- if you don't if you don't know how to deal with that at a young age, and it comes back to haunt you when you're playing college hockey, it's going to be very 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 difficult for you to process, and it's going to come at the very at the worst time. Um. Once you get up into those business situations where like it's a business and people want the best, and you're still trying to figure out how to handle adversity and kind of get through that, you're in you're in a way worse spot than the guy that had to face some growing up. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's definitely one of those things is nobody nobody wants to have it happen, but sometimes it's a blessing in disguise, especially as a team. Nobody wants it to happen during the year. Um, everybody would love everything to go smooth, but sometimes I think things can kind of go too smoothly as well. So, um, individually and as a group, it's never a bad thing. As long as you have the right mindset on how to get through it. Um, it's a, it's a skill. I always tell our guys, it's a skill and it's one of the best skills you can ever learn because it's always going to be there. And at some point it's always going to be there. So the faster you know how to get through that, what's best for you too, it's, yeah. it's an individual skill as well as you're facing adversity. Your friend's not going to know how to deal with that for you. You need to figure that skill out yourself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, like you said, it's definitely an interesting one. And the guys that kind of just pick and choose where they want to play and what feels best for them. So I don't think is always the best.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I love the fact that you use the skill because it is something you can get better at, right? But you have to be you have to be uh, willing to, to go through it, right? The the want to do hard things. And I think that's sort of I mean, you said that your buddy can't help you. And and, and I agree with that to some extent, but like helping them change the perspective of it, I think is like really critical, right? Because when it's a, when it's a victimized kind of mindset and like why me and poor me and, you know, the finger pointing scenario, if they can shift that to stand in front of the mirror and say, how am I going to own this? Right. And how am I going to make this better? Like that empowered type of position for them. Now, now the story's different, right, about whatever's in front of them. And I, and I think that is what sometimes players need, you know, is that little bit of guidance on on how to think about it. And, and uh, and well, you've seen it and I've seen it. I mean, there's tons of guys that out come out shining, I mean, smelling like a rose uh, after it, right? And some guys just go away and you, and you never see them again. So the guys that do come out smelling like a rose, they are equipped. And, and I love seeing that because that's when I know I'm doing my job well and I'm sure you're in the same boat. Like when these guys leave, feeling empowered right they feel like they've put a more few more tools in their toolbox they they're more prepared to handle things um that's a life skill and it's definitely a hockey skill because it's going to (laughs) come yeah i couldn't agree more yeah Yeah. um well we're past our quota here that was awesome chats i really appreciate you jumping on um we'll uh we'll see you next tuesday for sure uh so i don't really need to wish you best luck the rest of the way because we'll be around but i do appreciate your time i know my listeners really uh, appreciate your insight so thanks so much yeah no i appreciate it thanks for having me on thank you so much for sticking around till the end you faithful listener uh tyler was a great interview i really enjoyed that interview and actually now looking back on it i can't believe i've waited so long to invite him into a discussion uh, being that we've worked together now for a couple of years, and obviously the BCHL is, uh, is a route that a lot of players uh, consider, not only in Canada, but also in uh, eastern United States, as there's a lot of players that come from there. There's also a lot of players that come from Quebec all the way out here to uh, to the BCHL. So I know it's on the radar of a lot of players and a lot of parents, so why not highlight a fantastic organization, uh, what it takes uh, to become part of the BCHL, and, and also what Tyler's own uh personal vision is for his team and uh and what he wants to accomplish with his players so thank you so much for taking part. Uh, again, the theme of this, as far as has been support, right from the start, right to the right to the end. And uh, I should mention one of the things that comes up is, uh, like with Sam and Arm, I am able to be there in person. I take the forty-five minute drive. Actually, it's about an hour from my house on Tuesdays, and I I spend practice with the team and I and I sit and and meet with the players individually. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. The vast majority of my players and of, of my support happens over over Zoom calls or over the telephone so uh, if you have a team or uh, or an individual that uh, that is interested in getting uh, some mental performance assistance and uh, and some mindset help then this can happen regardless of where you are. So please don't think that your location matters as far as getting the support from Up My Hockey. Uh, it definitely does not. There is there is no there is no barrier right now in this day and age with technology. So I can be doing uh, coaching calls with your team uh, online. I can do it with your players online, and it's something that has been very very successful in the past. So I just thought I would mention that, as that is something that uh, some people aren't quite too sure about uh, because they may not be in the geographic region. So I actually love working with teams from the East Coast, to be honest, because of the, the time change. Uh, you know, seven o'clock is four o'clock here. I can actually get some calls in uh, during the normal business hours uh, for me. So if you are on the East Coast, it's definitely a, a great advantage for you because my calendar is, is more open during the day than in the evenings. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much, Tyler again for the if you're listening to the kind words there about uh, my support with your program, I really enjoy working with your players as well. Uh, so the uh, the feeling is mutual and uh, look forward to more success here in the playoffs and in the coming seasons. Until next time, play hard and keep your head up.